We're going to go to the book of Ezra, Ezra chapter 3, Ezra chapter number 3, and then if you'll find Jeremiah 29 also, and just mark that in your Bible with the bulletin you have there, or the ribbon in your Bible, or however you might want to do that, we're going to turn over there in just a little bit and read a portion of Scripture, but we're going to begin this morning in Ezra chapter number 3. Uh, after service this morning, me and Miss Pam are going to be headed out for uh, uh, some time away. Of course, each year, this time of year, uh, is when uh, we get together with uh, nine other preachers and their wives from across the country, meet someplace, and play golf for a week. The PGT, the Preacher's Golf Tour. Amen. Just pray I don't come in last. Will you do that? I told the Sunday school class last year, I went, what do you mean the high score doesn't win? What do you mean? And so anyway, some of you know about golf, some of you don't. Sometimes I wonder if I know about golf. Anyway, it's a time away. Uh, We, the men, we play golf all day and the ladies get together and do whatever they do. And just good time of fellowship and get away. I appreciate your prayers. We'll leave from there uh, down to the National GIBF meeting, Global Independent Baptist Fellowship meeting in Amarillo, Texas and be down there for that meeting, the first part of that next week, and then drive all the way back up to Wichita uh, to prepare for the Baptist Men's Recharge at the end of that week, which I'm very thankful that uh, so many have signed up to go. It's going to be a great time of, of uh, food and fellowship. Uh, I'm, I'm very thankful. Say, People have asked me, well, Brother Marshall, how many you think are going to come this year? I have no idea who's going to show up this year. I know that we have a good group going to be there. I do know this for a fact. Whoever shows up is going to have some real good food and some real good preaching. And so just, just pray about our travels that, that uh, by the time that we get away to get refreshed and then go to that meeting and then go to the men's recharge, we ought to come back just completely worn out. It's going to be great. It's going to be absolutely wonderful. But hey... No rest for the wicked, you know, so we're looking forward to the week. I appreciate your prayers as we get away uh, for a few days. Ezra chapter number three, verse number one. And when the seventh month was come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to, to Jerusalem. Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and his brethren, the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, and builded the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And they set the altar upon his basis, for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries, and they offered burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening. They kept also the Feast of the Tabernacles, as it is written, and afforded the daily burnt offerings by number, according to the custom, as the duty of every day required. And afterward offered the continual burnt offering, both of the new moons and all of the set feasts of the Lord that were consecrated, and of every one that willingly offered a freewill offering unto the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month began they to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord, But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. They gave money also unto the masons and to the carpenters, and meat and drink and oil unto them of Zidon and to them of Tyre, to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the Sea of Joppa, according to the grant that they had of Cyrus, king 
of Persia. If you'll leave your Bible open, we're going to address these verses as we go through the message today. And uh, I've titled the message this morning, Building Among the Ruins. Building Among the Ruins. Uh, There's good application here, and we're going to pray that God makes that evident. Let's pray. We'll get going. Father, help us now. Guide us in your word. Do what uh, only you can do in the hearts of people. We need your power, Lord. Um, Just clearness of thought and speech and just the unction that can only come from you to preach this message. We want it to be a message and not just a sermon. Speak to people's hearts. Lord, save souls today. Change lives today. Do what only you can do. We trust you for these things and ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for standing for the reading of the word of God. And please do be seated. On Sunday, May the 22nd, back in 2011, there was a massive tornado that tore through Joplin, Missouri. In fact, I had passed there about an hour before that time, Uh, going to another meeting. But just about 5.30 that evening, uh, a tornado touched down on the outskirts of Joplin. And uh, it was a non-threatening tornado, uh, the uh, EF-0. And as the tornado began to approach Joplin, it built up steam quickly and uh, increased to an EF-5. And uh, they say that its winds exceeded well over 200 miles an hour. And by the time it reached the heart of Joplin, uh, the tornado had grown to almost a mile wide. I mean, it was huge and, of course, very destructive. And as it went through, 75% of Joplin was demolished, uh, destroyed. Over 7,000 homes were, 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 were demolished. Businesses were leveled. Um, One of the hospitals in that city, actually one of the large hospitals in that city, was moved off of its foundation. The whole hospital moved off of its foundation. And 171 people lost their lives that evening, that afternoon. And I saw a lot of pictures of the aftermath, uh, and you could really barely even recognize the city. Those that we know that initially saw it after everything happened, they said that it really looked like a war zone. Uh, It was really something. And they began to rebuild uh, shortly after that. A a city being rebuilt after devastation as such is quite a task, as you can only imagine, clearing out the debris and starting to rebuild. Can you imagine, really, can you imagine losing everything that you have and having to start all over? I mean, where do you even begin when something like that happens? That was the challenge that faced uh, the Jews that returned to Jerusalem, this group that we're talking about this morning. God had given them the chance to rebuild their city and to rebuild their lives for Him. And there's really some really great lessons that we can learn today as we See how Israel began to rebuild what sin had destroyed in their lives. What sin had destroyed. We have to remember they were taken captivity because of their sin. Somebody say amen. 
God warned them. He sent prophets. He sent preacher after preacher to warn them, repent. If you'll just repent, everything's going to be good. They didn't because of their sin. They were taken into captivity for some 70 years and everything was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. Everything was destroyed. God sent them back there to rebuild. Rosario Butterfield trusted Christ some 21 years ago. Now she's a pastor's wife. She homeschools her children. She's a faithful witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus saved Rosario in 1999 out of what she describes as a train wreck. He saved her out of what she says was a train wreck. She had been a professor of women's study at Syracuse. Um, at, At that time, she was a staunch opponent of Christianity, especially the religious right, those that really desired to live the way that God would have them to live. And she and her partner at that time were leading advocates of the LGBTQ movement. And really her conversion, it, 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 it just rocked the gay community. And as she says, she put it this way, her salvation cost her everything but the dog. That's what she said. She got saved and it cost her everything but the dog. Becoming a Christian literally meant rebuilding her life from nothing. From nothing. She had to give up everything she knew and rebuild her life from nothing. Now, your story may not be as dramatic as hers. I mean, it may be different about your life. You may have been saved at a young age. You may have been saved out of a good moral life, whatever. But Here's the truth. Every Christian begins their new life in Christ out of what they were be, out of what they were before Jesus saved them. Everyone builds their new life in Christ out of what they were before they got saved. Because see, salvation gives us a, gives a, gives us a fresh start. It gives us a new beginning. It's the first chapter in a story that's yet to be told. And of necessity, that story begins with what we were before Jesus saved us. It begins there. We're building upon that. And that's what we're seeing here. Truly, these Jews had miraculously been given this brand new start from God himself. God had rescued them from their bondage in Babylon. Uh, They were living in the cities of Israel. Yet what they had returned to was ruins. Uh, a, A very sad reminder of what sin had done to their nation. And yet God had given them this fresh start. They had this fresh start this time that they could renew. And and that is what God does for people that are saved by His grace. He gives them a brand new start in life. A brand new start. Hallelujah to God. I'm so very thankful for that. I mean, I could talk about my own wreck of a life at 27 when God saved me out of drugs and alcohol addiction. I'm very thankful. I'm telling you, He gave me a brand new start in life. And just like each of us that have been saved, Israel had to begin rebuilding their lives for God 
after being delivered from that bondage. They had to begin rebuilding their lives. It's not like that we get saved and instantaneously everything is just rosy. It's not like that. But we do have that chance at a brand new start in life once we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful promise of God. So their first steps of faith are recorded here in this chapter, and it really helps us to understand how, how we can begin to build new lives with God out of, that, out of those old remains of the life that we had before Jesus saved us. And Israel started all of this, and, and, and I love this, and, and we have to get this. Israel started all of this knowing that God had kept his promise to bring them home. He kept his promise to bring them home. They, they were carried off in captivity because of their sin. But God had given them a promise that it would only last so long. And that he would bring them back to their homeland. He gave them that promise. Jeremiah 29. Turn over there. Hold your place there. We'll come right back there to Ezra. But Jeremiah 29. Look at this with me if you would real quick here. Jeremiah 29. This promise from God. Beginning in verse number 10. The Bible says, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. Verse 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again unto the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. Now, many of us have claimed that promise in verse number 11, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. And that's not, that's not bad. That's not a bad thing to do. The work that God is doing in our lives since he saved us is a good work. It's a good work. And it definitely has an expected end. And for us, the very end is a home in heaven with Christ. Forever. Hallelujah. We're looking forward to that time. But at the very same time, this was a shocking word of hope given to people who came under God's judgment. They were under the judgment of God. Their city was about to fall at that time, and they were going to go into exile. And yet God promoted uh, them that he would, I'm sorry, God promised them that he would uh, cause them to return to that place, to that city. To their land. I mean, he gave them that, that promise. And there, get this, there they could call upon him and pray to him. And he would hearken unto them. And there, at that place he wanted them to be, they could seek him. And they would find him when they searched for him with all their hearts. With all their hearts. And in Ezra chapter number 3, the people are there. They've been returned to that place. No, no, they're, they're there in the land. 
just as God had promised them, they're there. And the Bible says they stood as one man sharing the same conviction that God had kept his promise to bring them home to him. And because God had kept his promise to bring them home, then they had reason to believe that if they would diligently seek God there, that God would be found. Now get this, his favor would be found, his help would be found, his peace would be found, his comfort would be found. No, no, they they could find in God, oh I love it, they could find in God all they needed to rebuild what sin had taken from them. They could find in God everything they needed to rebuild what sin had taken away from them. They had that promise from God. You know why? Because God loves mankind. It's because of the love of God. It's not because we're good. It's because He's good. And He keeps His promise. Absolutely so. The only condition was that they needed to seek Him with their whole heart. What do you mean, preacher? They had to make their relationship to God a priority in their lives. It had to be a priority. Well, preacher, I want God in my life, but you know, I've got other things going on too. God knows what we have going on, but I guarantee He deserves the number one spot. And if we want everything that God has for us, we have to make that a priority. We have to give Him that number one spot. He he doesn't take it. You do understand that, right? He doesn't take it. We have to give Him that spot in our life. We have to yield that to him. And after all, why wouldn't they want to do so? I mean, no one else had done for them what God had done for them. And no one else could bless them like God could bless them. And so, I mean, ask yourself, I mean, ask, boy, we have to know, are, are you saved? Do you know that you've trusted Christ as your Savior? Do you know that you know that you know that Jesus has saved your soul? I mean, someone that can testify, stand up and testify, yes, yes, I know that I, know that I have been saved by, by, by the blood of the Lamb. I know that I have trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I can remember that time that I turned to God and asked Him to save my soul and forgive me of my sin. And I, I know that He saved me at that time. I know that He's done a work in, in my life. And it's so very important that we know that. I said, it's so very important that we know that. It's the most important decision that we ever will make before we leave this world because we only have the chance to make that decision before we leave this world. That we know that we know that we've trusted Christ. And if you're sitting in here and you can say, oh, preacher, yes, absolutely, I know that I have been saved, then you know that God has done for you what no one else could do for you. Because he's the only one that can save a soul. Well, preacher, there's a lot of ways to heaven. Oh, no, 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 just one way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one way of salvation. There's only one way to end up in heaven one day, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's done for us what nobody else could do. And if it costs you everything but the dog you know it's worth it. 
I said, no, 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 no matter what we had to, no, no matter what it ended up doing to our life, the life we had before we got saved, that really shouldn't mean hardly anything to us whatsoever. We're looking at what God can do now as we begin to rebuild after he saves our soul. A new life in Jesus is better than anything that our old lives ever had to offer. Ever. And the next step every day of our life, the next step that is, is every day of our new lives is to seek Him with our whole heart and to make our relationship to God the priority of our life because no one else can bless you and help you like Jesus can. No one. So Israel began with conviction that God had kept his promise. And God still keeps his promise. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a promise from God. God sent his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He paid the sin debt for, for mankind by dying, shedding his blood on that cross that day. He was laid in a tomb, but three days later, he rose from the dead. Victorious over death and hell and sin. Absolutely so. I'm telling you, we can trust the promise of God when it says, For whosoever, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. doesn't say might be saved. It says they shall be saved. When we get to the point where we realize that we need him more than we need anything else, if we will turn to him and call upon him, he will save our soul. It's a promise from God. So the next step was to rebuild their relationship with Him. They had to make their relationship with God a priority. Look at verse number 2 there in chapter 3. Then stood up Jeshua the son of Jehozadak, and his brethren the priest, and Zerubbabel the son of Shealtel, and his brethren, and builded the altar of the God of Israel, to offer burnt offerings thereon, as is written in the law of Moses, man, the man of God. And they set the altar upon his basis, for fear was upon them because the people of those countries, and they offered burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening. So to begin to rebuild their relationship with God, it started with building, get this, get this, it started with building an altar. It started with rebuilding the altar. We're going to get to that. But I'm telling you, if we're ever going to be close to God, there has to be an altar. What do you mean? We just need to go out and build some kind of bench, an altar? No, 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 no. It's a place we meet with God. It's a place we yield to God. It's a place we sacrifice to God. Wow, preacher, good grief. We don't do animal sacrificing like that anymore like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about sacrificing the things of the old life to the God that saved your soul. Come on, there's some things that we just need to lay upon the altar and leave it there and not pick it up anymore, not have anything to do with it anymore. Started with building the altar. Now you probably noticed it didn't say that they built an altar. It said they built the altar. 
And they set the altar upon his basis is the way that the word of God explains it. And the way that it's written, it really suggests that they dug through all the ruins of the destroyed temple until they, were found, until they found the remains of the altar, the one that was destroyed all those years before. And they rebuilt that altar. And they put it, they put it in the exact place where God had said it should be, in a position near the foundation of the temple that would soon be laid out. And once they had the altar, they were careful, they were careful to offer to God the sacrifices exactly as it was written in the law. They were willing to build an altar and then to sacrifice on it according to the word of God. The altar was a priority because it is vital to maintaining a right relationship with God. Good relationship with God. If you're going to have a good relationship with God, you need to find yourself at an altar at a regular basis. You've heard me tell the story before, but after we acquired this building and, and was remodeling and getting everything ready, one of the things that I had the workers do was to build these altars down here. They're called mourner benches or were called mourner benches in times past because people used them. They would come down and they would mourn over their sin. They would come down and they would sacrifice to God. God, I don't want this in my life anymore. I'm going to leave it here. I need your help. I need your victory over this thing. And, and, and they would come to an altar and do business with God. And I said at that time, I said the, that the altars were very beautiful, the very first service. I said, these altars are very beautiful the way they built them and put them together. And the only thing that could make them that much more beautiful are tear stains. Because it seems like in the United States of America, we have ceased to be sorry for our sin. It doesn't break our heart anymore when we sin against God. It does not break our heart anymore that we are going contrary to the way that God would have us to go. But I'm telling you, if you're going to maintain a right relationship with God, it's going to start by spending time at an altar. And whether it's an altar that you have at home, whether it be by a bedside or a chair or in a closet, wherever it might be, or whether it's when God speaks to your heart sitting in a church service such as this one, and you come down, you humble yourself, you drop your pride, and you come to an old-fashioned altar and take time to kneel and ask God to help you. Sacrifice at that time, Lord, I don't want this in my life anymore. Or God, I've not been serving you the way that I should, and so I sacrifice my life to you and my time to you, or my my treasure to you, whatever the case may be, you spend time telling God, yes, I want to do the way that you would have me to do. Go the way that you would have me to go. The altar was a place of confession where sins could be forgiven and the peace of God could be restored. I mean, we can have that peace that passes understanding if we are willing to confess and forsake our sins. It's also a place of consecration where they would dedicate themselves they would dedicate their lives to God and to his purpose for their life because I'm here to tell you ladies and gentlemen God has a purpose for each and every one of our lives 
And so we yield and do our best to follow him, but it was also a place of celebration where they could express their gratitude to God for every blessing they experienced in their lives. And I'm telling you, it's good sometimes, it's good sometimes just to get down at an altar and thank God for saving your soul, and thank God for the changes he has made in your life, and thank God for the blessings he's brought about in your life. I'm telling you, the altar is a good place to maintain a right relationship with God. But Israel was surrounded by enemies, according to verse number 3, enemies that they feared. And what it's talking about there was a nomadic people who had established settlements in that land after the fall of Jerusalem. And these, these, these nomads, they, they resented the return of the Jews because uh, they were a genuine threat to, to uh, 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 their well to their, um, uh, uh, um, to their businesses and such. And, and, and they, so, so these nomads were a genuine threat to Israel's safety and to their security. So Israel's fear was a legitimate fear. But in spite of that fear, oh please get this, in spite of that fear, Israel set up God's altar. In spite of the fear. Israel went ahead and did what God wanted them to do. In spite of the fear. Do you know why? No, 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 you need to get this. Please get this. You know why they did that? Because greater than their fear of their enemies was their fear of not being right with God. That's good preaching if I am doing it. Greater than their fear of their enemies was their fear of not being right with God. Well, come, because they'd paid the wages of sin already and they didn't want to do that again. They knew what it was like to live in a life of captivity bondage and they didn't want to have to go through that again so greater was their fear of not being right with God that is the fear that seems to be lost in so many Christians today the problem is is that we yield to that which we fear the most please get this we yield to that which we fear the most what do you mean, preacher? Well, for example, out of, out of the fear of disappointing some other person, we'll risk disappointing God. I mean, I mean we, we'll tell ourselves that, you know, God's going to understand. You know, God will understand even better than that person will if I don't. It, it really is so easy for us to push other things ahead of God in our lives because we fear something more than we fear not being right with God. Well, preacher, I mean, that's not a priority in a lot of people's lives. Being right with God, it's just not a priority. Right, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's not a priority. But it needs to be. Come on, if we've been saved by the grace of God, shouldn't it be a priority? Come on, shouldn't we fear God more than we fear anybody else? I, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, shouldn't we fear the wages of sin? No, even when we've been saved by the grace of God. I, shouldn't we fear the wages of sin, the cost of sin? I've watched it wreck families. I've watched it wreck lives. I've watched it just tear. I've watched it tear people completely apart because they cared more about doing what they want to do than what God would have them to do. 
Israel made their relationship to God a priority. Because being right with God is the most important aspect of our lives. Truly, there's no hope of continuing to move forward in in building our Christian life if we're not maintaining a good walk with God. It's just not going to happen. Well, I hope I do better. No, no, no. We, we have to maintain a good walk with God. And that means we're going to spend time with God. And that means we're going to yield to God. And that means we're going to spend time at an altar. See, it began with being obedient to the Word of God. To the Word of God. Look at verse number 4. We're doing great this morning. Look at verse number 4. They kept also the Feast of the Tabernacles as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the custom as a duty of every, uh, every of every day required. And afterward offered the continual burnt offering, both of the new moons and of all the set feasts of the Lord that were consecrated, and everyone, of, uh, everyone that willingly offered a freewill offering unto the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month began they to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was uh, not yet laid. So, Israel intentionally reestablished their lives in the land on a principle, please get this, on a principle of obedience to God. Obedience to God. The very last part of verse number two, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Verse number four, they kept also the Feast of the Tabernacles. As it is written, they decided that they would be obedient, that their lives would be established on the principle of being obedient to God. So they purposely sought to obey the commands, the instructions, the duties prescribed to them in the Bible. And it was in accordance with that that very belief that they kept the Feast of the Tabernacles. The Feast of the Tabernacles. Stay with me here. Stay with me. The Feast of the Tabernacles was an eight-day period of worship. It was a celebration. It was observed in the fall, kind of like our Thanksgiving is observed in the fall. And on the very first day, you have to get this, you have to get this. On the very first day, all the people moved out of their homes... And they moved into a temporary shelter that was built with tree branches. They moved out of their homes. What's this all about? Stay with me. Stay with me. They moved out of their homes into temporary shelters that were just built with tree branches. Now, I want you to imagine this with me, please, would you? Imagine moving out of your nice home where you live and just leaving the things that make you comfortable Everything in your home, all those things that make you comfortable, heat and air and beds and chairs and television sets and computers and whatever, just leaving all that, moving out, and you're going to live for eight days in a shack that's built with tree branches. My preacher, I I, I don't know if I'm... No, no, stay with me here. For eight days... You're going to offer sacrifices, get this, and you're going to celebrate the goodness of God. Preacher, I don't know if this makes any sense. 
You know, moved out of their homes, and moved into these little buildings, made tree branches, and, and now they're going to sacrifice for eight days and celebrate the goodness of God because they moved out of their homes? The point, please get this, please get this. The point was to remind the Jews that they had entered the promised land when they did with nothing. Remember? I mean, when God led them, they finally entered in the promised land. They entered in with nothing. No, they had no homes. They had no land. Everything they had at that time was by the blessing and the grace of God. So, what began as a principle of obedience became a pattern of obedience. Because in verse number 5 there, it says, and afterward. And afterward. So they started offering the daily burnt offerings as well as those required at the beginning of each new month. They just decided to keep doing what God would have them to do. And they didn't just keep the Feast of the Tabernacles. They observed all of the feast. The, the weekly Sabbath feast, uh, the seven annual feasts prescribed in the law of Moses. When it talks about the Sabbath in, in the Old Testament, it's not always talking about Saturday. There's different Sabbaths. Anyway, we don't have time for that Bible study. But, but, but no, 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 no. But, but they, they decided they were going to keep everything. Well, preacher, I don't even know why you're bringing this up. I don't, I don't know why this is, you know, I, I, don't, I don't even understand why you bring this up because none of this, preacher, really matters to us because, I mean, we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. So, I mean, you know, why are you, why are you bringing all this up? Well, let me to remind you, please let me remind you this morning that grace is not an excuse for disobedience to God. Yes, I'm thankful I live in a day of grace. Absolutely so. But grace is not an excuse for disobedience to God. In the book of Ephesians, Paul commanded, let him that stole steal no more. Are you still with me here? The Bible says, let him that stole steal no more. Well, preacher, that doesn't apply to me because I'm not under law, I'm under grace. In the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul also said, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Oh, here's what he said. Don't be a whiner. Don't be contentious. Well, come on, preacher. That doesn't apply to me because, you know, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. Now, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Well, absolutely so. No, no, no. It's absolutely ridiculous because it is ridiculous. Grace is not an excuse for ignoring the commands of God. I'm thankful for the grace of God, but it is not an excuse for ignoring the commands of God. <clears throat> for 36 years now, I've been saved for 36 years, and the more, that, the more that I'm obedient to God, the more blessed I become. The more that I have given up for God, the more that I have. 
And the things that God has replaced that He has led me to give up are much, much better than the things that I gave up. Because that's our God. That's the way He works. Ezra wants us to understand that God had kept His promise to bring His people home. And in doing so, He gave them a brand new start in that land. Now get this. Now I'm wrapping it up here. Their land was in ruins. But He brought them back just like He promised. That's what our God does. He gives us a fresh start in life. He gives us second chances at times. Two, doesn't He? No, no, even after we're saved, He gives us second chances, doesn't He? Or yeah, preacher, and third chances, and fourth chances, and fifth. No, let me stop you right there. No, it's always a second chance. What are you talking about? Because when we come to God and we confess our sin, repent of those things, God only forgives us, He forgets. And so if we stumble again and go back to God and go, God, I'm so sorry that I did that again. What do you mean again? Okay, I can have fun with this all by myself. God is a God of a second chance and a second chance. And a second chance. And I'm so very glad He has given me second chance after second chance after second chance after second chance. And He will continue to do so. That is our God. A loving, caring, wonderful, gracious, merciful, forgiving Heavenly Father. And He gives us fresh starts. I'll use the plural. Fresh starts in life. Doesn't He? We just need to decide we're going to be obedient when He gives us those second chances. Prodigals can come home. Sinners can be forgiven. That's our God. Our our God, no, 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 listen to me. Our God's not ready and waiting to kick us in the face when we decide we're going to try to do right. Hey, you messed up, and I've, I've had enough of you. Boy, I sure am glad God's not that way. And He's not that way. Not at all. Listen to this verse out of Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Bible says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me, this is Jesus speaking, anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Love it. To preach deliverance to the captives, wonderful, and recovering the sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised. That's our God. We can be building among the ruins. Preacher, you don't know what all I've done. Doesn't matter. I don't need to know what all you've done. God knows and He is ready to forgive and forget and to help you rebuild He's just waiting for us to come to Him. We can come to God with the broken pieces of our lives and out of the wreck and ruins of sin, He gives the opportunity to build godly new lives with Him. 
38 years ago, if you'd have told me that one day I'd be a preacher and pastor in a church in St. Joseph, Missouri, I'd have punched you in the nose as hard as I could have. I didn't like Christians. I didn't want anything to do with them. I didn't like people like me. But God had a plan. And He saved my soul. And He is building among the ruins. He's still building. I've still got a long way to go. But He hadn't stopped. And He's going to continue with all of us as we just yield to Him. And we do that by making our relationship to God a priority. We confess sin. And we consecrate our lives to Him. Lord, here's my life. Take it. Do with it whatever you want to do. Purge all the bad out. Help me to be everything that you would have me to be. I'm here to, I'm here to encourage you this morning. Stop allowing things that we fear to loom larger in our lives than our fear of not being right with God. The best thing we can do day by day is to make sure that we're putting God first. Establish a pattern of obedience to the Bible. Make it your make it your guidebook. Make it your roadmap. Every day, ask God for grace and courage to just do what the Bible says to do in your life. Every day. God, I need grace. And I need courage to stand up, stand up for Jesus and be a soldier of the cross. I want to be what you would have me to be, but Lord, I know it's going to be a fight today. And I need your help, God. I'm telling you, He's here for us. And He will help us. See, none of us are finished products doesn't matter whether you've been saved five days or 50 years or more. None of us are finished products. None of us. We all have areas in our lives where we need to become more spiritually mature. Where we need to become more faithful to God. Maybe we just need to determine to keep building a godly life with the brand new starts in life that well, with the brand new start in life that Jesus gave us the day we got saved. I go back to that time often. I go back to that place in my mind often. I remember kneeling beside my coffee table and calling out to God and asking Him to save my soul. He started something that day that He continues to work on. I don't want Him to quit. It is possible to build, be building among the ruins if, if we're ready to do it God's way. God builds things a lot better than we do. We just need to allow Him to do it. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. For just a moment, no one's looking around.
you're in here this morning, God spoke to your heart. You know that you're saved by the grace of God. You know you've been saved. You remember that time you trusted Christ as your Savior. But God spoke to your heart about something in your life this morning. Would you allow me just to pray with you about that? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Would you allow me as pastor just to pray with you about that? I don't need to know what it is, but I'd sure like to pray with you. Preacher, God spoke to my heart this morning. Would you please pray? that I will yield and do what God wants me to do. Would you just slip up your hand wherever you're at? Just allow me to pray with you about that. God bless your heart there and there and there. God bless your honesty there and across there and over here. God bless you back there. Thank you so much for that. You may put your hands down. You didn't raise your hand before, but you know that you probably should have. Again, our heads are bowed. Nobody's looking around. Preacher, yes, God is dealing with me about something in my life. Please pray with me that I'll just let him have his way. Would you allow me to do that? Just slip up your hand right there. God bless you and you. I appreciate your honesty. Thank you very much for that. We'll never go wrong just listening to God. There's a good chance that somebody's sitting in this auditorium this morning that does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. You've never, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Boy, oh boy. The most important decision we'll ever make is to know that we're saved before we leave this life. You're here this morning, you're like that. Would you allow me to pray for you? I, I'm, I'm not going to call on you. I'm not going to point you out. I'd sure like to pray for you, preacher. I just don't know for sure that my sins are forgiven, that I have a home reserved for heaven, that I've been saved by God's grace. I just don't know. Would you please pray for me? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Would you just slip your hand up wherever you might be? Slip it up. I'll, I'll acknowledge it. We'll go right on with service, but I'd sure like to pray for you, preacher. I just don't know that I have been saved. I'm telling you, if you would come this morning, there's, there are folks here that are more than willing to take you aside and to show you how you can have that all settled before you leave this place today. And we'd love an opportunity to do that. That's your, your choice, your decision. You, you would come. We'd be happy, happy to show you the way to do that. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you. Lord, that you map out our lives and we'll just follow what you have for us. It sure can be good. Father, I pray for those hands that were raised across the auditorium. I don't know how you've dealt with these believers, these Christians. We just pray that your will would be done in their lives. I pray that you give them grace and strength and divine guidance and whatever they need, Lord, to allow you to continue to build um, in their life. And then we pray for those in here that do not know Christ as their Savior, that they would come even this morning. It would be great that they would come and they would trust Christ as their Savior. That the, when these altars are open, that folks would come this morning and spend time with you, whether it's the need of salvation or, Lord, just the need to draw closer to you. Maybe it's confess some things. Maybe just to thank you for being so good to them in their life. I don't know what needs to happen these next few moments. We just pray your will would be done. And thank you for it all. For we ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Piano's going to play. Some have already come to the altar. You need to come this morning. Why don't you? Why don't you take this chance, step out, spend a little time with God.